Welcome to the Recovery Hour podcast, where we choose to recover out loud by sharing our personal stories of inspiration, hope, and triumph. Together, we can end the stigma and shame typically tied to mental illness and the disease of addiction. We are proof that recovery does happen. Joy and laughter may be involved. This is the Recovery Hour with Lori Winfeld. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Recovery Hour with your host, Lori Winfeld. I have a super special guest today. I know I say that all the time, but I really believe it. All my guests are special, but this one's super special. We are talking with Kelly Fitzgerald. I forgot to ask you, is it Junco or Junco? It's Junco. Well, fuck, I'm wrong all the way. I'm going to start it's over. Okay. It's like with a Spanish accent. Yeah, the sober senorita. Come on, get it together. Okay. Junco. Now I'm going to like, over- yeah, I mean, my parents still have a pro- like an issue saying it. So it's, it's weird because it doesn't look like it's said like that at all. But if you learn Spanish, like the U is pronounced like, ooh, like Junco. junco. And then the J is not a J. It's also a U. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So, um, I was just thinking when you said that my parents, I'm like, shouldn't your parents know how to say your name, but it's your married name. They probably are yes, the Fitzgerald exactly. part of that. Yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> well, welcome yes, and are. thank you so, so much for coming on. I uh, was so excited doing a Mother's Day edition and I couldn't think of anybody better than having you because we have a couple stories and a couple of really important sort of educational things going down with your life that I think can help so many. And so I appreciate you being on the show and offering your authentic self. So thank you. Thank you for asking me. It's it's really funny, like even being asked to be on like a show as a mom now, because I'm it's so new for me. Yes. Yes, it's brand new for you listeners that haven't been following her amazing Instagram stories, which are just so cool. Uh, Inspiring. Makes me want to like maybe turn the video on for a hot minute. And then I'm like, no, girl, you can't do this. Um, (laughs) I mean, I can, but I don't, right? Yeah. I knew you were going to say that because you're like all like (laughs) lift up other women, right? Just trying to encourage you. (laughs) I love it. Someday, someday. So yes, three-month-old Alonzo and go to Kelly's. um, I'll put this, I'll put the social media handle, but I'm sure everything is Sober Senorita, right? Yeah. On Instagram is The Sober Senorita, just so everybody knows to add that. (laughs) The Sober Senorita on Instagram, you know, the at sign and just check out her shit. It's really cool. So I have so many things and I want to start with sobriety. Like, let's just get that in the air. And, yeah. you know, recovery hour is definitely, oh, God, I'm so geeked up. Okay. Recovery hour. The podcast is about recovery in general, not just sobriety. I happen to have a lot of people on that are sober because I'm a sober woman and that's how we roll. But again, doesn't define us. And it's at some point just part of our life. So you, I'm so geeked up on my belly button birthday. Listen to this crazy is Kelly's sober birthday. So she will be eight years sober on May 7th. Yes, I will be. And that's next week. Eek! But if you're listening, it's really like today. <laughs> Whoops. It's okay. Oopsie. We're not live. It's fine. That's where I cut shit out. (laughs) 
Yes. <laughs> it's not next week. Sorry. It's May 7th. It's totally fine. Yeah. So belly button birthday for me. I'm an old hag and uh, a birthday. Uh, put the put the plug in the jug for Kelly. And you were quite the party girl, weren't you? Tell us about it. Tell us about oh, yes. partying. Gigs. Yes, I was. <laughs> I think that's so exciting that we share a birthday. Yeah, my partying days. I mean, I could go on about that for hours, but I'll try to make it a little compact since we have a lot to get to. Um, but yeah, I think I started drinking and honestly smoking weed at the same time in high school. So way back. And it was kind of, I always wanted to be like popular. I mean, I can remember back to like fifth grade and knowing like there were popular girls and like they were getting invited to like co-ed party parties, birthday parties and stuff. Not that they were drinking in fifth grade, but just like wanting to be popular. And the ticket to that in high school was drinking. Um, so that's when I started and I just kind of liked how it made me feel made me feel silly and relaxed. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. And then I went off to college after high school and I just was off to the races there. I wanted to party every single day, which I did for four and a half years. Um, I became like exactly what I wanted. I think I was like one of the popular people on my campus. Everybody knew I was always at the parties or organizing the parties or hosting the parties. And I also had a very problematic drinking history there. I mean, I would black out all the time. I would wake up and not know where I was. I would put myself in dangerous situations. I would have horrible hangovers, horrible, horrible. I can still remember it like it's yesterday, which is probably a good thing because I don't want to go back. Um, I would just, there would be like a splitting headache, throwing up like hours after the morning the morning after. And, um, it was just horrible, but I kept doing it. I thought this was like normal. I thought everyone, everyone blacks out sometimes and it's not a big deal. Even though there were definitely friends I had that were like, Oh, like you black out, like you don't remember anything. And I was like, no, like nothing past 10 PM. And they're like, wow, that's like crazy. They couldn't understand the blacking out part. So I kind of knew at that point that my drinking was not normal. Um, but I still continued to do it. And then after college, I moved to Cancun, Mexico, which is pretty crazy. Party central. Yeah. And the reason that happened is because in college, and I'm sure people know this already, but you go on spring break and the trips are often to places like Cancun or Punta Cana or even Panama city beach, Florida. And I did that obviously, cause I like to party and drink in college. And then I saw there were staff working there. Um, for these companies and they, they send their staff to these locations to work spring break. And I was like, wow, that job looks so cool. And since I happened to graduate in December, um, cause I went to college for four and a half years, I was needed something to do in the spring. So I applied to work for these companies and they sent me to Cancun. So that's how I ended up there. So as, as you can imagine, the drinking and drug use got even worse in that place because it's just meant for that. That's why people go there vacationing. How did you wind up drinking? Were you doing all that during working hours? Like, were you just partying with your, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So like, that's literally like what you're meant to do kind Mm. of like you have to pick up people at the airport and like sober, hopefully (laughs) take them to their hotels. Yeah. Well, I would not be driving. I would just be (laughs) riding in like whatever transfer van they, they booked, but, um, but yeah, still not good. But, um, yeah. And we would like help 
facilitate like the parties because obviously there's lots of clubs and right. bars in Cancun. So we like organized like a party schedule and there would be a different place every night. And we would take the groups there, make sure they knew where they were going and like how to get set up with their open bar bracelets and all that stuff. Crazy. So it really wasn't much work. <laughs> it was just kind of like you're a party host and you're drinking with your your people. You're and, getting paid to party. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's a great exactly. Place to... So it was the perfect job for me <laughs> at that time. <laughs> yeah. It's like the best place for someone and at your age and with your uh, alcohol use problem. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it was. It couldn't have been better. So what wound up <laughs> at that? Point. Yeah. So that was Cancun, and then you wound up leaving. Did you actually get sober there? Yes, I got sober there. Um, yeah, it happened in 2013, and it was kind of a result of my then boyfriend and now husband kind of dumping me at the time and saying like, I'm not dealing with this anymore. Yes. Tough love. (laughs) Yes. He had been taking care of me while drinking for like a whole year of our relationship. Mm. And our relationship actually was pretty toxic at that point. We, we were fighting a lot and like we would drink together and it would just escalate and it was like not good. And then we kind of settled down a little bit, like at the beginning of 2013, and um, he just encouraged me to like try to moderate. You know, like he was like, "Well, I don't have. I don't think you need to stop drinking at first. And but you just need to like know when to stop. Like when you're drinking out and you don't know when to stop and you black out, you need to find that happy medium. Of course, as many of us, we can't. And I couldn't find that happy medium. So I ended up quitting altogether. Um, but that was actually after a bachelorette party trip I went on to Punta Cana. So I flew from Cancun to Punta Cana to meet my friends from home, Philadelphia for one of their bachelorettes. And I had like made these promises to Fernando and my husband. And I'm like, I'm going to be fine. Everything. Cause he was worried, obviously me going on the trip. Yes. I'm like, I promise I'm going to be good. I can, I can do this. I can not black out. I can moderate. It'll be great. I'm going to be great. But of course, like the second day there, I blacked out and he didn't hear from me. And he just knew. So I like woke up to like a text from him, like, okay, like I know why you're not texting me or like telling me you're okay. And I'm not doing this Mm. anymore. So basically he, he broke up with me while I was on this trip. And that was like when I had my revelation, like in the airport flying back to Cancun, um, which will be almost eight years ago now. And I, was thinking to myself in the airport, like, what's wrong with me? I don't understand. I can't, I can't do this. I've been trying to do this for a whole year, like figuring out how not to black out, how to enjoy drinking and not be so bogged down by it and like hurt the people I love and hurt myself and put myself in these embarrassing situations. And that had been embarrassing that blackout that I had on that trip. My friends from home who are not like heavy drinkers had to, again, take care of me. I was puking in our hotel room. I don't even remember doing this. So it was just embarrassing. I was full of shame and just like really deep down inside wondering what the heck was wrong with me. And I was like, okay, I need to try something that I haven't done yet, which was not drink at all because I'd been trying to what I now think was moderation, but just back then I just thought I was trying to drink normally, um, but didn't work for me. So that's when I stopped for good. And yeah, that was when I was living in Cancun. So I lived in Cancun for a whole year. My whole first year sober was in Cancun. And then I moved to Florida after that. Wow. That's tough to be in that environment. 
Yes. Yeah, it was. Hopefully he's listening to this. Way to go for Nando. Yeah, boy. Yeah, he does listen to my podcast. So awesome. Well, he's amazing. Yeah. And I have a husband just like yeah. him. And it's interesting that you know, you get to a place where you probably thought you needed to give up at some point. And, you know, it's, it's almost like the soul, you know, you get together for this reason, right? Like I was in a situation where I was in relationships before and, and frankly, I was married before I had a, I had a, I call it my starter husband, love you starter husband. Um, and I had a drinking problem then, and he was very clear about that. And for whatever reason, uh, it didn't stick. I wasn't like, oh yeah, I better stop or he's going to leave me. But let me tell you the one I got now, I was like, fuck, I better get this shit figured out and dialed in because I got to keep this guy. Right. And so uh, Fernando, I have one of you at home. His name is Ty and we appreciate you both so very much. Thank you for saving our lives. Yes. And it's so funny that you said that because I also had an ex before Fernando in Cancun and he said the same things to me, like your drinking's out of control if the things that happened to you happened to me when I drank, I would quit drinking. And at that time I couldn't hear it. It was like two years before I was like, Oh, he's trying to tell me what to do. Like, I don't know. Like what? He's crazy. Like I was in complete denial. So when Fur was saying basically the same stuff, but like in a more compassionate, loving way, I was like, all right, same thing as you. Like, I was like, I can't yeah. F this up again and lose somebody else. And like, I'm hurting this guy who was, has, was amazing to me since day one. I, and I know that that's part of my story too. Like the self-loathing that drinking can do to us because I truly didn't, I was like, I don't even know why he wants mm -hmm. to be with me. <laughs> like, I don't deserve a healthy relationship and he's so loving and amazing. And like, why the hell does he want to be Aww. with me? So uh, that was a lot of work I did. Too. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully now you have figured out why he wants to be with you. And uh, yes. And now you get to celebrate with sweet little Alonzo. Oh my gosh. So what is that? How, yeah. how, how, like, are you just over the moon right now with a three month old at home? I wish I could say I was over the moon. I don't know if I would use that <laughs> phrase to describe how I've been feeling. Sorry. Um, um, sorry. <laughs> let me, uh, let me derail that conversation. Fuck, I forget being a brand new mom, right? Okay, so love yeah. the fact that you have the baby, but let me think about what the hell we were doing at three months old. So so I feel for you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm so grateful and like beyond happy that I have him. He's amazing. He's like, I literally look at him and I'm like, I cannot believe I made that. <laughs> like we made that. And that he came out of me and he's just so beautiful and he's like the best baby. I like discuss this with people and I'm like, he's just, he's, he sleeps through the night. He, he cries when he needs something. But other than that, he's not very fussy. I mean, he has his days like here and there, but not really, not from what I hear from other parents, um, how much babies can cry and all that stuff. So so yeah, and and I guess that makes me feel even a little bit more guilty mm. of like just feeling totally out of my comfort zone as a parent. Obviously, I've never been a parent before. Um and it's been it's been a learning curve for sure, and I think that's also compounded by other things that I've been going through. I mean, what what took me to get here to this point and also the grief of losing my dad which happened while I was pregnant. Um so it's it's been overwhelming and intense. That's how I would describe it, but that doesn't take away from the fact that my baby is amazing and I love him so much. Overwhelming and intense is totally completely opposite than over the moon. And so I really didn't catch your feelings <laughs> on that one. <laughs> I 
I thought I was really good with my intuition, but perhaps not so much. <laughs> oh yes, I and you know, jokingly, I can I can say this because we are BFFs now, um, and that's how I felt. But you have gone through so much, and I I do want to talk about that because this is definitely you know on on having this episode out during Mother's Day week was really important to me because you have gone through so much to be here at this place. And there are so many things you have openly shared about your miscarriage. You have openly shared about depression that you're experiencing. You've also openly shared about your father passing and being a woman and, and especially in recovery, recognizing that, holy shit, these are things that you have to feel right now, right? You don't get to just go drink it away. Let me back up. You could just go and drink this away or push it down or whatever you yeah. decide to call it but you you have the strength which is amazing and 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 so inspiring to be able to say hey I'm going to go through this without getting myself into those messy blackout situations to forget all this bullshit so I'd love to talk about all of the things um let's just go in like orders so you had a loss of pregnancy yeah and when did that happen was that pre marriage after marriage that just happened in November of 2019. Okay. So after marriage, when did you get married? I don't know. Yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I just assume that you knew. What's the fucking timeline? Yeah. My God. <laughs> um, we got married in February of 2017. And to, to just add more context, we have, we didn't start trying to have babies until July of 2019. Oh, wow. So you got pregnant fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. So you find out how, I don't, I can't with the math, but several months later. Yes. Yeah. So I find out, I took the test. I was so excited. I like told for, and it was so exciting. And I made an, an appointment for an ultrasound and everything. Um, and I mean, like, so anybody who's been through this, you know, they, they ask you questions when you make your ultrasound appointment, like when was your last period and all that. Um, and there were some questions around that because I feel like I had one period and then I had like some breakthrough bleeding, but I, at that time wasn't really like hardcore tracking like I did after mm-hmm. that. Um, so I just answered the questions best I could. So I wasn't really sure how far along I was is why I'm saying that. Um, but the te- I took several tests and they were all positive. So I went in for like my ultrasound, I think a week or two later um, after that happened and I was like so nervous because I'm like, oh, I've never done this before. Like, this is so exciting. And during the ultrasound, the ultrasound tech said there was like nothing, nothing, no sack. There was nothing on the screen. So I was like, okay. And immediately like, you know, panicked. And so they were, of course, were like, could this mean, could mean a few things. Could mean um, that you're very early in your pregnancy and it's too soon to like be seeing anything up there, it could mean that you're in the process of having a miscarriage. So it was like, we're not sure, go home and wait oh it my out. Basically. Gosh. Yeah. And they sent me for blood to blood work to test like the levels of HCG in my system and all that. And that's another way um, um, that they can tell, like, obviously, if your levels are going up, that means you have a pregnancy. Um, if they're constant or going down, that means something's going on, most likely a miscarriage. So 
I just remember having to wait for like the results of that blood work. And so how they do it is you go once and then you have to wait three days for the results. And then you go like three days after that again, and you have to wait for those results because they want to compare the levels. Right. So it was like excruciating, Mm. like waiting, (laughs) waiting and waiting and waiting. And so while I got the first round of results of the HCG levels and the levels were like, a normal amount for a pregnant woman. So that didn't really tell us anything. So you have to wait for the second, the second test to see if they're going up or down or this or staying the same. So it was basically like a week full of anxiety, but before I got the results of the second test, I had the miscarriage. So that was the answer. Mm. Um, yeah. So it was pretty devastating. And I honestly didn't expect to be so devastated by it because it all did happen so fast we had just like started trying and I had just learned with the test that was, I was pregnant. And then like, it was like a three week whirlwind of all that stuff happening. And then it was gone. So it was, it was intense. And I had like the one of the few days that I had that I was excited about it quickly went into like despair and grief mm. from that. And at this point, had you talked to your family yet, or was it just you and Fur that had? Yeah, it was just me yeah. and Fur, and I actually, I actually had to tell my mom like the day that it was happening. I told her obviously she like knew something was up. She's like, "What's wrong?" And I'm like, "Well, I wish this was this was a better way. There was a better way of saying this, and I was hoping to surprise you, mm. but looks like it's not going how we thought it would." So I had to tell her that way. Same with my sister. Yeah. Now during that period of time, which is as a mother, I couldn't imagine uh, that happening, especially if in a place of trying. And is that when you first started experiencing depression or had you experienced that prior to, you know, when you were younger or in different periods of your life, or is that where you think it, it, it spurred? I definitely think that's where it started. I, when I think back maybe I experienced depression when I was like a teenager. Now that I like kind of know how it feels, I feel like I might have had undiagnosed depression Mm -hmm. back then. Um, But I don't recall feeling like how I've been feeling lately or since the miscarriage in recent years. So I think this is like a new type thing, but yeah, the, the miscarriage, it was very intense because first of all, it has the same hormones, obviously with pregnancy, and then they're in your system, they're out of your system really fast. So there's lots of up and downs from that. And then obviously the grief. And then following my miscarriage, I had to see a lot of people getting pregnant, like on social media. And that was really tough. I also had a friend here locally, who was pregnant, and I declined going to her baby shower after that because of this and she was totally fine mm-hmm. with it and about it and she I respected my decision and and all of that uh so that was really hard I think I was very triggered by like all, all that type of stuff like seeing other people where I wanted to be where I thought I was going to be um and then even following that it took several months after that to become pregnant again and so I was worried that whole time, like something was wrong. Cause you know, what I learned quickly with miscarriage, it's really, you don't really get an answer of why it happens. Most of the time it's kind of just, they chalk it up to something went wrong biologically. Right. And so did you, we don't did know. you start <laughs> feeling like at that point, like what's wrong with me? 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I definitely was like, what's wrong with me? And I actually, after I, we waited a few months to kind of like recuperate and, um, before we started trying again. And then after several months of trying again and nothing happening, I made an appointment with my OB to like talk about fertility stuff because I was like, okay, well, if something is wrong or something's up, I want to know what it is. Mm -hmm. And if we have to take more steps to make this happen, I want to get started on that soon. And meeting with her was really encouraging. And then literally my next cycle is when I got pregnant because she's, she just knew my history and she was like, I think that there's nothing wrong right now and that we don't have any reason to think that. And you haven't been trying for a year yet. So Mm. basically she was like, keep trying and I think it'll be okay. But if not, we'll take more steps. So, and then the next cycle is when I got pregnant. Do you think she secretly injected you with something amazing that (laughs) church and then like, Oh, Hey, Alonzo. I don't think so. Cause this is a virtual. (laughs) (laughs) Cause it was like literally the beginning of the pandemic when it started. So you're like, no, that could maybe, maybe she sent good vibes. Yes. Through the virtual. Vasilisa would say that, right. She said she gave, yeah. Yeah. She sent some good vibes through. Okay. Awesome. Oh my gosh. Well, I am so, uh, as a mom, can't even imagine, you know, experiencing that. So I, I recognize also as a mom that has suffered from depression and then grief, like that stuff doesn't always go away either. And so I hope that, and would love to um, chat with the listeners too, if you have experienced relief from that. And if so, how, how, you know, for anybody that has experienced grief in the loss of pregnancy and is still experiencing that at this time, do you have any words of wisdom from your experience on how that helped you get through? Yeah. Um, it's interesting because also in my pregnancy, I had a lot of anxiety Mm. about what, well, first of all, having another miscarriage. And then I was thinking like every milestone, I was like, Oh, I'll be fine at 12 weeks. I'll be fine. And once I hit 12, once I hit 20 weeks, I'll be fine. And it never went away. Um, so I think you know, for me, like staying with the practices that have worked since I got sober, which was, you know, reaching out to other people who've been through what I've been through. And obviously I am new to the whole mom and pregnancy thing and miscarriage thing. So I immediately reached out to other women that I knew experienced miscarriage and honestly being open and honest about it on my social Mm -hmm. media, I got even more feedback, which was super helpful because it's always helpful because I, you know, with so many issues that we're in recovery from, you always feel like you're the only one or like no one could be possibly experiencing this pain that I'm feeling. This pain is so great. So definitely talking to other women who had experienced this and been through it themselves, just because they know how it feels. They know the pain, Mm -hmm. they understand, they make me feel seen and heard. And honestly, getting on the She Recovers Zoom meetings helped me too um, last year when they started. So that was very helpful. Yeah. And, you know, I think exercise, obviously I exercised my whole pregnancy that helped. CrossFit queen. Um, Yes. Yes. And I'm just getting back into that now, which is another difficult situation. Just like trying to take my time and, um, you might have to start wearing a different type of pads. Don't, don't, don't be jumping on the trampolines. Yeah. Well, I've also worked with a coach who specializes in pregnancy and postpartum 
athletes and we did pelvic floor rehab. And oh, stuff, so oh, that definitely okay. helped. I need that person yeah. eight years later. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's never too late. This is what they tell me you're postpartum forever. So if you're having any type of those symptoms, they can be fixed. Do they do virtual appointments? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's, she's actually, my coach is based in Colorado. So we, we talk virtually. But yeah, in terms of like the depression I've been experiencing, it's honestly, I I think what's the new part of it for me is feeling kind of numb and like flatlined, not flatlined, that's not the right term, but just kind of not, I used I feel like since I got sober, I have felt so grateful every Mm -hmm. day and kind of like just feeling joy about normal life things so easily and just my baseline is joy, I would say. Um, and since having the baby and honestly, since probably the the miscarriage and then losing my dad and then having the baby, my baseline is kind of like numb mm-hmm. and kind of grieving and feeling sad. And um, I, I feel like I'm really missing out on um, feeling joy. Um, and a lot of what with my baby Again, I have to say, preface it with saying he's amazing and I love him and it's great. But also at the same at the same time, feeling that some of the time when I take care of him, it's very transactional because I, you know, have to keep him alive. I have to Mm -hmm. keep him clean and dry and make sure he sleeps and eats. And I know a lot of women feel that way and don't feel like they can say it because it feels ungrateful or it feels wrong because I wished for him and hoped for him and couldn't wait to have a baby and wanted him so bad. And now I'm having these feelings. So I think that's a lot of times why postpartum depression or anxiety goes undiagnosed or women feel like they can't talk about it because they feel guilty, like saying these things out loud because you're assumed to like have to be so grateful for your baby. And, oh, I hoped and prayed for him. And or um, whatever. So you feel bad, like voicing that you're having these Mm -hmm. feelings, but it's so common and a lot of it is normal and a lot of, a lot of it is difficult. Oh, Oh, okay. That's our virtual coach. My Apple watch. (laughs) (laughs) That was my Apple watch. I don't know how the heck. My apologies. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't hear what you said. That's what she said. I heard it. Yes, but I think you, I have to say, like listening to this just sort of puts me back into my my last child who is now eight, which is fucking insane. Um, and she's also, you know, eight going on 24. What I remember, I and I was drinking when I had her. So who knows, right? I mean, I had mimosas in the hospital, like day of, like baby's out, bring the champagne. But I also remember during that time, I love how you put it sort of transactional. uh, And I still say this to this day, even in sobriety and love my children so much. I still say this day, my job is to feed and water you and to ensure you don't die. Like that's what I'm, that's my job. (laughs) And then in between, it's great that we have these loving sort of, you know, compassionate but there are some times that you're just like, no. And, and I, I feel like you have to get to a place where 
again, I, I just love what you just said about the transaction because you know what? That it is because that's what it is. Like that's a job, right? There's loving and nurturing right. and something separate right. and that may come at a different time. But right now the responsibility is to make sure that this kid doesn't choke on stuff, you know, sleeps the way they're supposed to, what are you crying about? It's hard when you are only responsible for yourself and then now there's this brand new life that you are now responsible for. And you're like, I can't even keep track of my own shit, let alone this crazy. I also think there's like an added layer of like, when you get sober, like we are, a lot of us work really hard to become like independent and have these lives that we love and that we have self-care routines and like years, almost eight, eight years of doing this. And then boom, now you, your routines are all messed up. You have a child to take Mm -hmm. care of and he comes first and your self-care routine comes second. And, you know, we always hear, oh, well, you have to take care of yourself, which is true. And you need to do stuff that you did before you were a mom. I keep hearing that. And yes, but it's so hard. And like, there's only so many hours in the day. And so it's tough. Yeah, it sure is. And, and finding that balance. And I would say for me in recovery is difficult because I'm very reactive. I don't know about you, but I'm reactive. So it's like, there's an issue then I'm going to just go fix it. And then I'm going to fix it. And then I'm going to fix it. And then, oh shit, the day's over. And then here we go again. Right. It's like, Meh. and finding childcare to go do the things that you used to do or to get your head, get out of your own head and wondering like, oh my gosh, you know, it's, I always I say like this, it's almost like sex too, right? Like women have to be in the mood. Like you have to be mentally prepared for it. You can't just go be like, oh, Hey, I got to just like release some stress. No dude. Like I got to be in the yeah. right mind. And now if I just finish cleaning diapers and like being barfed on all day, and I haven't done anything to like allow myself to have a creative outlet, the last thing on earth I want to do right now is to participate with you in any sexual activity. So by, yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, that's very relatable. <laughs> yeah. Paper. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, because this is the thing. Again, always my opinion and my, uh, you know, my life and what I've experienced, my life experiences. But I love sex. I have to be mentally in the right space. And so for me, what I know is the mornings, because Why? oh, I don't know. I just slept for however long I slept and I didn't think about anything. Like I was able to rest. My mind was at ease. I woke up and I have not yet been slapped with real life. Yeah. Great yeah. Point. So uh, I don't even know where that came from, but it just made me feel like I had to say it. Uh, yeah. So, well, thank you so much. Yeah. That sounded like a chicken. I don't know what's happening. What's going on right now? <laughs> you tell me, you made the noise. <laughs> This is crazy. I think I got nervous because I said sex. (laughs) That's okay. That's a good word to say. Oh, speaking of words. Okay. I'm all over the place, but I do want to make sure that we talk about this. You just recently did a cool, um, again, Instagram with the sober senorita. She's got just fun shit on there and relatable and real life, like everything. And, and if you want to get to know somebody, just go and do it because then you guys might be BFFs. Um, but you were just yeah. recently talking about language in recovery and a yeah. little controversy. <laughs> you had some comments, which I think is great because I love yeah. that 
Oh, and I knew it would be when I put oh, it Oh, yeah, you did. You're like, listen, I'm ready for some controversy. This flatline baseline of no joy is not working for me. I'm going to throw something out there so I can get myself... <laughs> Let's sprinkle some drama in there. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Yeah, sometimes you need it. Uh, you know, what's interesting is I think that some of us who see those things recognize that it's out there for drama. And so you immediately go to the comments like, what's happening? Um, and you drop your own knowledge, but I didn't. So this is the thing is I normally would comment on something like this. And I really wanted to choose my words, words wisely, because it was a post about conversation and about using language and specifically about, uh, people in recovery from substance use or alcohol use. So tell me a little bit about why that came to you and what, what the post was about. Yeah. So the post was like a TikTok video, originally, but it's kind of just listing words that I no longer use when I talk about addiction and recovery. And those four words were alcoholic, addict, clean, and alcoholism. Um, and I'm at the end, I give a reason why. And I said that they are, de- they're, excuse me, they're stigmatizing and um, they don't empower. So, and that language is important and that it can be empowering and it can destigmatize addiction. So that's just the frame for the post in case anyone hasn't seen it. Um, The reason I decided to make the video is honestly because I recently had a conversation with my family, Mm -hmm. my mom and my sister about language use, and they had used some of these words. And I said, you know, I don't really use those words anymore in this realm. We're kind of moving away from it. And I gave an explanation and they were kind of like surprised and a little taken aback. Like they hadn't heard this before. And I was like, wow, I'm thinking like, that everybody knows yeah. this already. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, and it was kind of like a, an epiphany. I'm like, oh, okay. So there's still people that haven't heard of this or are forget or need a reminder that we're kind of evolving as, and I mean, we as like the recovery community and in what language we're using. So that's what made me like post it. Yeah. It, it totally hit me because I feel like it being in the recovery community myself, I have chosen not to use the word alcoholic. And I didn't really think it was because, oh, like that's not the word, you know, it's like not, I just don't identify with that word, even though I truly am what would be considered an alcoholic. Yeah. Oh, me too. So, um, so that, yes, like for me, I'm like, yeah, I get that. Cause I don't even And I love, oh my gosh, see so much more the AA, you left AA and you wrote a big thing about it. And, uh, -hmm. I feel that same, like my post treatment treatment was 90 and 90 and just go to this thing. And I didn't Mm -hmm. know anything different. And I just listened and I went. And, um, after a while I was just really upset with the steps. And then also with, you can't like no publish whatever the PR situation is. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but I need to start screaming from the rooftop because some other bitches need to know what I'm going through so they can stop doing what they're doing because I used to do the same thing. And then I also have a hard time saying like, why do I have to identify myself every time? Like, hi, my name's Lori. I'm an alcoholic. Like, why do I? Well, fucking clearly that's why I'm in this room. Like, why else would I have walked through and followed the, the sign that had two A's on it? Like, so anyway, that's my own sidebar annoyance. But what I I wondered about the word addict and why that was something that was stigmatizing because it was, I feel like a word that we wanted to start using after not calling people um, junkies or, you know. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I almost it's funny because so like the video it only kind of leaves room for four words, but if I had more space, I would use more yes. words because there are like a list of other words and junkie is one of them. So the term addict, I think the what what addict, junkie, and alcoholic all have in common is that they are labels for the person. Mm. So they put the responsibility on the person. Um, and that's like a term that they, that person then takes on okay. and embodies. So if I, which I know, like, yes, I am like, yes, I identify with alcoholic because of the fact that I um, suffer from alcohol use disorder, which is the proper term right mm-hmm. now. Right. Um, so yeah. again, I don't identify as that, but I know that that's something that I have um, been diagnosed with. When it comes to addict, like, what do you, so what's the preference or what's the suggested language? Because I would say, oh my gosh, I'm addicted to alcohol and now I don't drink. So I'm addicted to sugar. Um, I also am addicted to coffee. I'm also addicted to uh, shopping maybe a little bit, right? I know I'm an addict. Mm-hmm. I know it. I know that that's my inside of my body, but what do we, what, what's, what's the proper, like, what do we do? What do we say? What's new? So in that way, I would say like either like drug user, mm. um, I, or I misused drugs and alcohol. Okay. Um, I, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It becomes harder when you talk about like shopping, for example, I misuse shopping. I, do. I spend money when I'm not supposed to. Right. So that, that can become, and, but I'm open to like, you know, learning new ones, but, but I see what you're, what you're talking about because addict is, is the beginning of the word addiction. So that makes sense to me why you would ask that question. And even in my the comment section of that post, someone asked that question of why is addiction okay, but addict and alcoholic and alcoholism are not. Mm-hmm. And what I told her was that I actually try to use the word addiction even sparingly mm-hmm. now. And I feel like it'll probably be phased out at some point too. And just we'll solely use substance use disorder or alcohol use disorder, opioid use disorder or whatever works there because I think addiction does have stigma attached to it. Yes. I think it's less stigmatizing than other words like alcoholism, for example. Um, There's something about the word or the, the part of the word ism that makes it more stigmatizing, I believe too. Um, But yeah, I think the, the word addict is just historically been used to demoralize Mm -hmm. people and, to be talked down about people and again, reflects that there's something wrong with the person and not the substance. So it's a lot about the person versus the substance and where the blame belongs there. And and that can get into like, you know, the philosophy of what addiction really is. And I mean, we could go deep into it. So I I definitely recognize that there's a lot of different schools of thoughts Mm -hmm. on this. And the other part of it is that some people self-identify uh, as yes. an addict or alcoholic, and that's fine for them. And the difference there is that if they find it empowering to call themselves that, and that helps them get well and helps them feel like a part of a group or however they're using it, great. I say that's awesome, and there's no reason to like change there unless they want to. And that's everyone's individual decision to make, obviously. Yeah. So, what I'm hearing is some of these words are stigmatizing in the sense of you're labeling yourself blame and or shame for something that that you could be diagnosed with. So in, for instance, you know, I'm an alcoholic versus like, I've been diagnosed with alcohol use disorder. Like my name's Lori. And Hey, by the way, I've also yeah. been diagnosed with, um, 
so many things, but what, what is my point is it's similar to my friend who had cancer, right? This is, this was one of the first things like when I actually went to, to, to get help for my alcohol use, misuse, my girlfriend had breast cancer and she had gone through chemo and the whole thing. And she on the floor, as I am on the floor, like trying to get cold because I was so hot from all my like drinking and craziness. And she's like, Lori, you didn't ask for this. She's like, I didn't ask for cancer. Just like you didn't ask for this. And I'm like, oh my God, brilliant. And it exactly what you're saying is it took all the blame and shame away from me specifically for choosing to do those things versus like the need for me to have alcohol in my body. Yes. Exactly. And also it's like alcohol is an addictive substance. That's like how it was made. That's its makeup. That's its chemical, the chemicals that it has inside it as a substance. Uh, It's addictive. So of course people experience addiction or misuse it because that's literally how, how, what it's meant to do. Um, And same with a lot of drugs, but some of those drugs have other Hmm. um, uses uh, for pain relief and all that. But so I, I really think it's from my view and there's also been some research around it. I don't know if you know, Robert Ashford, um, he is like a recovery scientist and he's done a lot of studies around the use of language. So there is scientific evidence to back this up that, um, it's just helpful to, like you said, take the blame and shame off the person and concentrate on getting well and that like this drug or this thing that you're using is just something that you're doing and you can, you know, recover or yeah. get better. No, that's awesome. It. I was just going to ask you if you felt like there was an organization or a place that people can go to, to get more information and sort of keep on the up and up of the new things, but I will, I'll put this information about Robert in, in. Yeah. Notes. And then faces and voices of recovery, faces and voices of recovery is an organization and they have, stuff on their website about what language is best to use. And again, this is, you know, it's always evolving. I think some people can get uh, annoyed with how much language evolves in general in our society. You know, the words that we used five years ago are now like not okay to use. Um, and that's just like the, the reality when it comes to language, like we learn, we do better, we think of better things to use and say, and and then things change. Yeah. So this is always evolving and it might evolve again. Exactly. So. This um, may change by the time we go to production and we might be using addict again. <laughs> Watch out. And I think what's, imp- I don't know if we'll go back to that, but we might move forward. To oh yeah, else. Lori, we're not backing up. Okay. I think the most important part of this is to know, and this is what I appreciate that you communicated is that how you want to identify is your own that's your own thing. Like if you're using this language to identify and to explain and to describe yourself, very appropriate. If it's out there and it's clear that these are harmful words or stigmatizing words and things that we're trying to, as a community to go away from, it'd be great for you to hop on board or at least just keep using the words for yourself. And, you know, don't call me what I don't want to be called. Right. Right. Exactly. And it's, I think like when I got sober, people assumed they just, oh, oh, you're sober. So you're an alcoholic. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I'm like, okay. And I think we've made a lot of progress. I think we're to the point. I mean, we, we're both part of an organization called She Recovers where uh, you don't have to identify as anything or like, you know, we don't have that right. as a necessary thing. And we're kind of just smashing the stigma by being who we are and, and doing that. So it's, it's much different, but yeah. And that is, 
truly the organization is so amazing when it comes to that because you really cross over with I can relate to some people that actually I, I just said my friend Heather who had uh, cancer and she runs she runs an organization as well and these women were put together for like six months to do fitness and uh, training and long story anyhow I totally identified with them with everything they were talking about towards the end about what they experienced after this illness and what it really hit me at that time which was a few years ago was like this is we are just women experiencing the same fucking thing we're just calling it something different so here you are going through this now amazing time that you know you are pregnant with Alonzo and and you're very close with your family and your dad is alive and well. Mm-hmm. And then you announce, hello, I'm pregnant. And there's excitement in the family. And then what happened? Yeah. And then when I was seven months pregnant, my dad passed suddenly. Um, it was actually a week before my baby shower, like the weekend before he died, he was at my house, like helping me. I keep going. I say this all the time because I mean, it was one of the last times I saw him, but he was power washing my front sidewalk and like our front patio area and like fixing things in my house. Like that's what he did his last like two days on the earth. Um, Yeah. And then when I say he died unexpectedly and suddenly he was 68 years old, he was in good health. He also stopped drinking many years ago and he was literally riding his bike that morning. And when he came in from his bike ride, something went happened with his heart. Um, some sort of sudden cardiac event that we are calling a heart attack, but we know, you know, it's just like, they don't know for sure because we didn't, we didn't have an autopsy done, but we assume that's what the cardiac event was. And there was no way to know, like, you would never think he was at risk for that. He went to all his doctor's appointments. Um, yeah. And then, so here I am, I was seven months pregnant thinking I'm about to celebrate like this amazing thing, like the following weekend. And instead I was grieving and I actually had the baby shower, but it was a nice, I think, break from grief in that, in that time. But, but yeah, it's been, it's been really insane because it's gotten me to think a lot about the like life death cycle. I mean, two months before my son was born, my dad left the earth and then my son came onto the earth. So I've been just, it just rocked my whole world really. Um, and what I've learned about grief in the short amount of time that my dad's been gone and everything is that like, it never really leaves you. I mean, I know we have a lot of women and she recovers that are in recovery from grief, but it's not like substances where you can stop using them. It's kind of like the grief of some stuff will be around or in you forever. And it's just something you learn to carry and learn to heal from and learn how to cope, I guess. So it's been a really intense time for sure. Yeah. Yeah, And this is while you're pregnant. So like you talked about earlier, having the hormones going on that you were talking about still fresh from, I I would assume grief from 
the loss of pregnancy and this the anxiety that you started experiencing, wondering if this pregnancy was going to continue or if it was going to end the way the other one did. So I can't imagine still to this day, I'm sure experiencing grief and depression and this little guy, like what, what sort of things are you doing to help take care of yourself? Um, I, and just to, to know, it did make my anxiety worse. I would say like for those last weeks of my pregnancy, I was like, oh man, like if my dad can just die for seemingly no reason, why can't the same happen to the baby that I'm carrying? So that was very real and intense. Um, so since then to take care of myself, I mean, therapy has been my main tool, um, which I was doing before, but I upped my sessions after that happened. And, and since having the baby, I have an amazing therapist who I can see virtually. So that's been really helpful. I also, um, again, have been on my zoom meetings with the she recovers community when I'm in the worst of my worst days, I know I can go there and talk about it and feel seen and heard. Um, and I also have done grief specific support groups and also postpartum depression specific support groups. I love a support group. I think a lot of us do. Um, and that helps. And I think it helps for it when it's like a specific thing, because, um, uh, obviously in like she recovers or any recovery type meeting, you could talk about these things, but it's helpful when there's other people who are going through the For specific sure. thing that you're going through. Yeah. Well, I think, and you said this earlier, knowing that you're not the only one. And the only way that mm-hmm. we can find that out is if we're open and honest about our own stories. And so I appreciate you so much for coming on and sharing. There's so much, like there's so much. Yes. And yes thinking about everything that you've been through, I know that someone is going to be listening to this and saying, me too. Oh my gosh. Wow. Like, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. And I also want to say, I did also make an appointment. I have an appointment coming up with my OBGYN um, just to follow up about how I've been feeling. And my therapist is actually the one who said, Kelly, I think you have postpartum mm. depression. Um, so I want to, I'm following up with my doctor to see what other options I have as well as, as maybe medication. I know that a lot of people have success with that. So I'm open to that. I don't know if that will be in my future, but I do want to mention that because that's a normal part of yeah. this treatment too. Yeah, for sure. And thank you for being open about that. And absolutely. What I loved hearing just now is that you are utilizing your tools and your resources and that you are seeking professional help which is so important. And and the more we talk about that, the less stigma around the fact that, yeah, badass bitches need some uh, professional help. Thank you. Yes, thank you. So uh, last wanted to, I just wanted to check in. So we didn't in the beginning talk about this, but your career. So you also outside of being in recovery yourself, you are also a recovery coach. You are a, she recovers coach and also works with Annie Grace with this naked mind. So how freaking exciting is that? Because what I can say is in sobriety, when people say, "Mm, what books should I read? I hear often, probably there's, I would say there's a handful in the sense of five, but I would definitely say this naked mind with those that don't identify as being an alcoholic immediately are like, oh, totally understand what's going on now. I just read the this naked mind. I'm like, cool. So how, what, how did that all happen? And yeah. how do you feel about being in such like a brown, brown graking <laughs> ground 
breaking. <laughs> I was like, is that a term that I've never You're heard like, listen, <laughs> I just told you, you can go to Faces and Voices to find out new terms, but definitely that's not on the list. Groundbreaking. Right. Groundbreaking. What is that? Hi. This is why I don't get this is why I don't get paid to do podcasts. I just sit in my office and do this shit. <laughs> no, paid people make mistakes too, Lori. It's okay. You're being too hard on yourself. <laughs> well, that's the perfectionist in me. Oh, is there a term for that? Perfectionist? <laughs> that's a great question. And I think we should explore what other terms we can use. One who seeks perfection. Um, yes, exactly. Perfection seeker. <laughs> I'm a good study. I'm a quick learner. Um, yeah. Okay. So um, tell me about your experience there and your experience coaching. Yeah. What do you love to do? What do you see yourself doing? Oh, yeah. The whole thing. So yeah, I I love recovery coaching. I love being a coach. I just haven't really done it lately because I've been working with this naked mind doing marketing stuff. And then obviously I have a lot going on in my personal life. So Right now, I'm not taking on clients, but I hope to do that in the future. I'm just not sure when, maybe a few years down the line, but we'll see. Um, with this snake in mind, it kind of happened very randomly um, in that I saw like a Facebook post that Annie posted that she was looking for a marketing manager. And I applied kind of on a whim, like, oh, like, I don't know if I technically need this or if I'll be a right fit or if they'll be a right fit for me, but I'm going to apply and see where it goes. And we were acquaintances, Annie and I, um, cause I had gone on her podcast before a few years back. And so she was like, Oh, excited that I applied. And then we ended up getting along and, um, I was hired, um, almost two years. It's almost, it will be two years in June. Um, so I've been doing marketing with her and it's just an amazing organization to work for. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's a great, Everybody knows that, but also just like living her values in terms of being a boss and a CEO. And it's very exciting because, yeah, the, like you mentioned, her book is a life-changing resource for so many people and including myself. And I mean, I it didn't, it didn't exist. I don't think it, yeah, it didn't exist when I got sober, but I mean, like years later it helped and I recommend it to people. And then with that, we offer a lot of programs for people to be coached and get help. And yes, like you mentioned, I think, I think working there has actually encouraged me to like, think about my language, the topic that we just covered, like that definitely has been encouraging me to look at what words I use and that knowing that so many people don't identify as an alcoholic or um, a lot of people that follow Annie's work and are helped by her book identify as alcohol free or just non-drinkers and they don't even talk about like the addiction piece of it mm-hmm. or that doesn't resonate for them. Um, so yeah, it's definitely been eye opening, and I think it's great because we just widen the circle and bring more people in who might not feel good when they drink alcohol. So I yeah. think that's important and very helpful because there are so many people that maybe want to quit or want to cut back or whatever, and don't feel like they, as we know, are bad enough or drinking enough to, to quit or cut back. So I think it's, it's great and really important work. So I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. Awesome. Well, we're so happy that you are a part of it and being an educator is so important and love that you are, you are on that train girl. Uh, There was a book in your future is that still happening? What's oh oh? Call, you're calling me out, yeah, girl. <laughs> yes, 
there still is. And it's funny because one of my one of my followers or readers will ask me every few months, like, okay, where's your book? Where's it at? You were talking about it for a while and it's still not here. Um, <laughs> so yes, I've been working on my memoir for probably like three or four years now. And I actually did get some writing done when I first after I first had the baby. Um, I haven't, I have to be honest, I haven't written in like a few weeks, but I am still working on my awesome. uh, memoir is what I'm writing. And yeah, it'll just be about my life. I actually, it starts when I like go to Cancun and move there and then getting sober and kind of how I started the blog. And I, I'm almost done, but I'm not done yet, but I'm, I'm pushing myself to get it done. Cause I know I'll feel so much better when it is. Oh done. yes. And we will all feel so much better too. So we can have everything we just talked about in uh, print and then yeah. you can share about how excited you were that one time that you went on the recovery hour podcast and that will make me happy. Yeah, well, I'll just come back on when it's of course you will when it's published yeah. so I can we can talk about yeah. <laughs> we 100% will. I'll invite myself back. <laughs> you totally can. There's always an open invitation for you. Well, thank you so much for being my Mother's Day guest. I love it. Yeah. Celebrating your yeah. first Mother's Day. I can't believe it. Thank you. That feels like, like a good way to to commemorate the first my first Mother's Day. Aww. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. And thank you for all you do and for inspiring others and for your work in the recovery community. It's so necessary. And uh, I am personally very grateful because you've always been an inspiration. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Recovery Hour podcast. Successful podcasts equal subscribers and good ratings. Please take a few minutes to rate, review, and subscribe. To learn more about me, your host, Lori Windfeld, jump on over to therecoveryhour.com. Here you'll find information on my coaching and speaking practices, as well as information on guests of the show. If you're still listening to this and you haven't subscribed to my mom yet, what are you doing? You're lame. So go do it right now. All right, all right, calm down. Sorry about that. He's just really excited for this to be successful since I I've been spending all of my free time on this project and not with him. While you aren't lame, as my son suggests, I would really appreciate a few minutes of your time to subscribe. While it doesn't seem like much, it really does help my goal in spreading the word of recovery. Until next time, let's continue to inspire, live, and give.